All right, good morning. Um, I, uh, I know many of you have, have asked me uh, for an update on my tailbone. <laughs> <laughs> it's doing great. Um, for those of you that weren't here last week, I mentioned that I had a bit of a uh, fall down the stairs, first time in 40-something years. Uh, my streak is broken, and uh, but I think it's doing pretty good, okay? Uh, even though we went rafting yesterday. So, yeah, it's, uh, it was the test, I know. But uh, um, another thing I want to, uh, you know, remind you all that my family, we, we love to go on vacation. Just a couple weeks ago, we got back from vacation. And I told the story in that context is that, you know, here I, you know, go ahead and hurt my tailbone and then I have to sit in the car for eight hours and then try and suffer on a beach chair uh, <laughs> in the process. But we drove to the Carolinas to spend some time on the beach. And like many Nashvillians do, we, we drove there. Now, uh, I don't know how you all travel. Uh, but I know some people are very fastidious about, about planning their stops. You know, we're not, we're not going to stop until here. We're not going to stop until there. I don't plan our stops out uh, unless I know we're going to stay overnight somewhere. If I know we're going to stay overnight, I'm in charge of picking the hotel and, and whatnot. Uh, but if, uh, if, if we're going to break up our drive over two days, that's what I'll do. But um, it, it will be my responsibility to find some place to stay. But otherwise, I'll, I'll put the car in drive, and I'm going to follow where the GPS tells me to go. And uh, that's, that, I, that is the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of travel. I'm following that. Now, one of the re- main reasons I don't stop, uh, or don't plan our stops, is because with three other people in the car, right, uh, inevitably, someone is going to stop and say, uh, I, I need a bathroom break, right? And you can't plan those. You can't always plan those out. My younger son did, however, request that we stop at uh, Bucky's on the way. Because you show him he's familiar with Bucky's. It's a scene, man. I'm telling you, if you've not been to one, you can't get in and out of there for, for, for you know, 10-minute gas stop. You have to plan 45 minutes to an hour. I, I always say Bucky's is sort of a combination between a, a, a truck stop and a carnival. It's, it's madness, okay? Uh, but it's really fantastic. Having said all that, on the way back, someone in our car announced that they needed to use the bathroom. And another also noted it was time for lunch. And like I said, I don't plan these stops. When someone makes such requests, I start looking for signs and billboards. I look for the blue signs on the interstate that tells me, ah, oh, this. And you, you, you kind of get a sense for, this is going to be a good stop because there's a lot of hotels listed. There's a lot of places to eat, a lot of fuel stops. So this is a good one. Well, it had been quite a bit of time. You know, I got into the bathroom, and it's been one of those, <laughs> well, there's, there's nothing I can't find. There's not a, there's not a, there's not a, a rest stop. Uh, there's not a populated blue sign on the interstate. One came up, so okay, here's one that has some, okay? Um, and so we get off on the interstate, off the exit, and it's not looking great. Uh, it's time to eat too. Someone says, hey, there's Wendy's. So let's just stop there. That's where we pulled over. Wendy's, the first thing I noticed was, was it the cleanest of establishments? Uh, probably not to the surprise of many of you. Nevertheless, we were trying to make this quick. I, I, I like making good time, too. That's the other thing. I like to make good time. So I, I didn't want to say, let's go to the next exit. Because what if the next exit doesn't have anything, right? We're here, opportunity, let's, let's just take it. They start telling us things like the, the drink machine is broken. Oh, and there's not going to be any this, that, and the other. So you know, half my family ordered from Wendy's. Myself and my older son, we went across the way to Burger King. <laughs> now, I'm my, in my younger years, I had a much better relationship with Burger King. I, I, I really liked the Whopper. I really liked the way it tasted. The older I got, when I would eat a Whopper, it would have an adverse effects on me. <laughs> it did not treat me nicely. But there was something that I said, you know what? I, 
I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a whirl. I'm going to have the Whopper uh, because it, that just sounds, sounds good, okay? Um, and the whole time I was in there, this establishment was no cleaner, if not worse, than the one. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of concerning things that I was observing. And I even, I even got to the point where we were waiting for our food for a while. I said, there is no way that I'm not going to get sick. There's no way. <laughs> and the thing is, is that I had the choice. I, I, I could have walked out. I could have said, let's, let's risk, let's go to the whatever, whatever it takes. There's no need to eat this whopper, right? I'm just getting nervous and nervous. They bring us our food. Uh, it's incomplete, of course, right? <laughs> okay. And so got our food, I left, and just show of hands. You think I ate it or you think I didn't eat it? Raise your hand. If those think that I ate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those who think I didn't eat it. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate your faith in me. Unfortunately, yeah. you are wrong. <laughs> I ate it. I, I was hungry. I was hungry. And, and there was, again, and I was, as I was eating, there's no way this isn't going to hurt me. If not, kill me. <laughs> but I was hungry. I was hungry, okay? This, this type of behavior, this type of behavior is quite emblematic of, of man's chief problem. This type of behavior is what we need to be saved from, okay? Which is what? I told my son yesterday that I was going to be telling this, uh, this story, and he asked me how I was going to relate to the, to the lesson that was Because uh, I was trying to tie it in, you know? I don't just tell you stories for the sake of telling stories, right? And he asked, is it about Adam and Eve? <laughs> right? And I said, well, not specifically, but ultimately, yes. Yes. Okay, Adam, Adam knew what was right. He knew what would kill him. And what? What did Adam say? What did Adam do? Uh, and it's what we do. When we sin over and over and over and over again, how many times do you, do you engage in sin knowing, knowing that this is not, this is not becoming of a Christian. This is not good for me. This uh, sin ultimately leads to, to death. You know, we live in a, a fallen world, okay? So as Christians, we like to say that we're saved, okay? We're saved. Or we'll ask someone, uh, have they been saved? What do we mean by that? What do we mean by that? Saved from what exactly? Who can answer that? Are you saved from what? Sin and death. Sin and death. Okay, sin and death and whoppers. That's the idea. It's not as twice pronounced in the Bible, but that's what it is. If you want to know what you're saved from, look no further than the opening of, of Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, this is what we're going to be this morning. Uh, and our three headings today in Ephesians chapter 2 is uh, what's, uh, what's with us? <laughs> what's wrong with us, that's supposed to say. What's right with us, and how do we get there? Meaning, how do we get to, how do we get to where we're right? Okay, so what's... what's uh, What's wrong with us? What's right with us? And how did we get there? So let's start in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, okay? So a few weeks ago, we talked about predestination. When, when people tend to think about predestination, we have the sense to over, oversimplify it a little bit, okay? Categorize it as God choosing people in, 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 uh, 
eliminating any notion that you or I have free will, but that's not, that's not accurate. That's not an accurate description of, of, uh, of what we would describe as a predestination or reformed theology or Calvinism. Um, however you want to classify it, that doctrine, those doctrines do not teach against free will. Okay, free will is something that uh, reformed theologians have affirmed for ages. Okay, so immediately if that's what you're thinking Presbyterianism is all about, not having free will, that's incorrect. You do have free will, okay? Uh, I believe God gave us a free will. However, it was in our free will. It, it was by our own choosing. God gave us a choice. Follow me or follow you. Follow me or follow you. Decide now who will be king. Will it be me or will it be you? And every one of us had the freedom to choose. And in our freedom, every last one of us said, I pick me. I pick me. Every last one of us said that. There's a book by Jonathan Edwards called Freedom of the Will. And this is exactly what he's addressing in this uh, in, in his, uh, his book, that humans have free agency. Uh, as lost people, we have free agency, but in that free agency, we always choose that which is in accordance with our greatest desires. Okay, and I love, I love to talk about this because, uh, especially in content, I heard R.C. Sproul do this years ago too. Why did you choose the chair you're sitting in today? Well, it might have been because I was trying to avoid that person, so I might sit over here. You know, or I really wanted to sit in that chair, but someone was already in it. So that, does that mean I don't have free will? Yeah, I really wanted that chair, but you know what? You could have had this chair if you really wanted it. Why didn't you get this chair? Well, you didn't wake up early enough. You didn't get it. If you really wanted to, you could have camped out here. When we opened the doors, you could have got that chair. But your desire for, for doing other things around the church, whether it's you know talking to someone in the hall or sleeping in a little bit because you didn't want to get up here, that was your greatest desire. And that's what you gave into. As lost people, sin, sinful behavior is always your greatest desire. That's what you want most, and that's what you pursue. Okay? Uh, recall what did the, the uh, uh, sometimes we eat a uh, Whopper, for instance. <laughs> I had that in my notes, I had to say. Recall what did the serpent say to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.1. He says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Is that what God said? No, that's not what he said. He, he, he didn't say that uh, he didn't say any tree in the garden. You know, so, so Eve answers and then says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the, of the, the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither, neither shall you touch it, she says, which is inaccurate. That's, God didn't say that either. Look, she's already trying to improve upon God's will there, God's design. I know better. I know better. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst, neither shall you touch it. And here's the choice Adam and Eve are given. Verses 4. This is verse 4 in the third chapter of Genesis. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You won't die. And that's what the devil still says today. You won't die. You, won't, you can pursue whatever you want. You've got your freedom. You won't die. You won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, that was their choice. And by extension, that's the choice given to you and me as well, too. We were given the very same choice. Who will be king? Will it be me or you, God? And Adam and Eve said, I pick me. Same thing you and I, each and every one of us. They were our perfect representative. They were our federal representative. They, they, they behaved as you and I would behave. I pick me. By our own free choosing, in our own free will, we picked that was contrary to, to the design of God, all of us, and, and, uh, and said, uh, do that and you'll surely die. And that's what God said, and he did. And so this is how Paul starts out verses uh, uh, verse 1. 
of chapter two in Ephesians, which we found, we had that up here a second ago. But this is what's wrong with this. This is what's wrong with this, as it's, as it's such, you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, okay? So this is what's wrong with this. Step through it with me, again, uh, back up to verse one. Dead in trespasses, and then he describes what that is. That is walking, following the world, following the, the prince of, of the power of the air, following the spirit and the sons of disobedience. So that's, that's what's wrong with this. And then he tells us how we got there. How did we get there? How did we get in that state? Uh, remember that we just, what we said about Adam and Eve, in your own free will. You were given a choice. You were given a choice. Who's going to be king? Who's going to be king? God or me? And what did we pick? Verse 3. Every one of us decided to follow the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and mind. That's what, that's what our pursuit was. So, so in a very real, profound sense, we're saved from not the devil, but from ourselves, from our, from our own desires. According to the Bible, the reason, the reason we're dead in trespasses and sin, the reason we're slaves to sin, is that the, the human heart is profoundly self-centered. We're self-centered in our own sinfulness. It, it's as if our, Martin Luther says our hearts are curved in on themselves. You know, visualize that. They're, they're curved in on themselves, and then we say, I pick me to be the king. Okay? So what does that look like on, on a practical level? Hang on with me through this, uh, this thought because it might bother some of you. So stay with me. When our heart is, is curved in on, our, on itself, you know, our focus is me. Focus is me. Self-centered. We interpret everything in, in light of how it affects me. When we look at every, any, every situation in life, we say, how does this affect me? Right? Before you're saved, e even in the good things you do, even in the good things you do, they can be they're tainted. They're tainted. On the surface, though it appears you might be doing good for, for some, someone else, it's really for yourself, okay? So you might be serving uh, uh, the needy, or you might be um, a good, good child for your parents, and, and you're, you're, you're a good parent to your children, and, and you're, you're being a good friend, and you're helping people, but as Luther says, you're really doing it all for you. You're really doing it all for you, and I know that probably bristles against somebody thinking, that. well, no, I don't think that's right. I think good. I think there are people out there doing good, uh, even though maybe they're they're not saved. You think there's good people out there doing things that that are good, even though they're not saved people? Is that possible? You think so? I agree. Why is that? Common grace. We talked about that last week. God gives us common grace. You know, if someone does, for instance, firefighters all the time, whether they're saved or not, they run into a building, they're burning building for the sake of someone else. That's good. Is it possible that? There's a firefighter out there running into a burning building to save someone else because I want to be a hero? Mm -hmm. Is it possible? Of course it is. Of course, you have to factor all those things in together. So it's very difficult at the end of the day when you start when you start looking at the good in the world. Just of course, there's common grace. But again, a lot of it's tainted in selfishness. A lot of it's tainted in what, 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 can I, what can I get out of this? How will this make me a hero? Or how will this benefit me? Because again, our hearts, as Luther said, are curved in on themselves. Uh, um, and so again tell me if you agree or disagree if there's someone who's not a Christian uh, it's not impossible for them to do something good right? you already told me you agree on that um, but again common grace common grace uh, the, for the unregenerate heart the unsaved heart uh, to be truly selfish something has to change something has to happen to it an outside force has to act upon it because in and of itself left to its own devices 
This is what Paul tells us in Romans 3. No one is righteous. To the exclusion of no one. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Not even one. To the exclusion of everyone. No one is righteous. No one is righteous. So the non-Christian heart is incapable of being truly selfless in and of itself. That's what Romans 3 tells us. However, that does not mean that the, the non-Christian heart uh, that, that can't do something selfless as a result of common grace. It's still God. It's still God is the engine behind the transaction that's happening. Okay, That happens too. Now, uh, on the flip side, does this mean that if I'm a Christian, my heart is incapable of doing something good that is really and ultimately about me? Am I still capable of that as a Christian? Well, in other words, am I still capable of being selfish? For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, when you're saved, yes, sanctification begins. That process begins. But are you completely changed overnight? No. No, you're not changed overnight. You, you don't start living 100% selflessly. Sanctification is a process whereby the Spirit teaches you to die unto sin, this is the language of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. That means you learn to die unto your own selfishness. And more and more over time, your natural disposition is then geared more and more towards selflessness, the heart of Christ. That's the heart of Christ, right? It becomes less and less bent in on himself and starts facing outward. So, so more than anything else, what's wrong with us? It's a heart that's turned in on, on itself. Since our natural disposition is to say, I'm the king, we're led on this path, following ourselves, following our own passions, which can only lead to death, being in sin and, and trespasses. Any other thoughts or comments on, on what's wrong with us, or anything, anything you want to react to, anything we just said? You, you by and large, you, you agree with that? You understand what we're saying here? It's not, again, not because a non-Christian can't do something good, uh, because of common grace, but outside of that, Left to its own devices, the human heart, the human sinful heart, is inherently wicked, right? And it always seeks out its own its own uh, benefit. Uh, that's what we. That's what's wrong with us. Any other comments, thoughts, questions, anything, anything at all? Yes, sir. Well, the, the imago dei in us then is it's the only good in us is reflection of God. We're reflection of God, the image of God. We're we're cast in the, in the image of. And this is why you know it's saying a bunch of stuff. By the way, I'm just going to go ahead and mention it. I passed my ordination exam this week. There's still one more hurdle to go before a presbytery, but again, thinking through all the things, studying, just doing a review, a comprehensive review of uh, church history and, and all those kinds of things. Uh, and, and that's, uh, you know, when you start talking about things like nihilism or, um, you know, uh, the idea that uh, we killed God, right? And there's, there's uh, so the only good left in us is that uh, just get, get what you can. Uh, overpower people because that's all that's left. Even, even, uh, but e even those the thought thinkers uh, couldn't fully go there because because they thought, well, we can't live like that. It's not sustainable. We can't live like that, just always going after each other and always trying to best one another. Why is that? Why is that? Why can't we live that way? Because there's something inside of us that still testifies to the fact that that's not sustainable. That we can't just live selfishly, fully selfishly. And what is that? It's that we're, we're made in the image of God. The only thing. That there's something in us that testifies. But again, that's not as a result of the human heart. That's still as a result of the image from whom we're cast. Mm -hmm. That God's fingerprint itself 
in us that says, you can't do that. You can't, you can't be completely selfish. You can't be completely yeah. general re revelation. Right? That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's very profound. I love it. Any other thoughts, comments? All right, keep going. So the second thing we need to talk about. In spite of uh, our choice to be our own kings, God chose to do something else. Let's keep going in Ephesians. This is 4 to 7. Okay. 47. But God, I'm going to say that, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us uh, in Christ Jesus. So if verse 1 and 3 tells us what's wrong with us, what we're reading here, verses 4 and 7, is what's right with us. And the reality, as you'll see in a minute, what's right with us is not because of us. Right? It's not because of us. If you scan through those verses once, go ahead and take a quick scan through them and see them and tell me what's missing from those verses. Anything really about me. Anything directly about you. This is all Christocentric. This is all Christ-centered. Okay? Uh, what's absent from these verses is any reference to a contribution from you or me. Verses 1, two, three, one through 3 was the problem, which was full of our attempts at contributing to, to the world, right? Itself. Verses 4 to 7 is the antidote. Okay? And it's all about not me. It's all about what he does, what he did. And, and this is what's right about us. This is, this is the only thing that can make us right. So it's a, it's a bit of a setup. When I say what's wrong with us, what's right with us, the answer is pretty much nothing. If not for, if not for, but God. But God, okay? Uh, the, the, but God is his mercy because of his love for us. What's my contribution? I was dead. That's my contribution. I was dead. I was completely dead to the things of God, and I relentlessly, relentlessly pursued a heart curved in on itself. In spite of that, he made me alive. He made me alive with Christ. And again, how did he do it? It's the complete opposite of verses 1 to 3. Okay? If verses 1 to 3 describes a heart that is turned in on itself, completely focused on itself, what is the undoing of that heart? What has to happen? So what's the complete opposite of a heart that is turned in on itself? A heart that is turned out. Turned outward, right? How does that work? Here's how it works. How did Jesus save you? He saved you through the exact opposite of the heart turning on itself. He saved you through the most radically unself-centered thing anyone has ever done. Though he was equal with God, what we read about that in Philippians 2, he said, my life for yours. My life for yours. He, he selflessly ran into a burning building, as it were, right? He undoes that heart turned in on itself, verses 1 to 3, with a heart that's completely outward-facing, in verses 4 to 7. So, so this is how it works in terms of your sanctification. This is how it changes you. Notice what it says in verse 6. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, something I want you to notice here. Did you notice that's in the past tense? He seated us with him. Okay? He raised us up. He seated us. Let me ask you this. Do you feel raised up? He says you've been raised up. And you're seated with him. Do you feel that way every day? No. Then someday it doesn't feel that way, does it? So what does this mean? If he say, what, what does it mean that he's... Does it mean that we're, we're, we're free of all these burdens? No. So what does it mean? What does it have to mean? If this is not uh, 
But this is not a, a literal declaration. It's a legal declaration. That, that's why we say in the past tense, because that work has been accomplished. That work has been finished. <coughs> you are raised. You are raised with Christ. That means it's effectively in the past tense. Your legal status is that of Jesus Christ. That, that happened. And that legal status in the past has been applied to you. You know, even though that's why we don't feel like we're seated with him, it's not inwardly focused. It's externally focused on the work of Christ. Okay? Well, we have been raised from the dead. Not yet. Not, not, not physically yet. So we're legally seated there. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the legal standing of Christ. So your sins, they're accounted for, and you're treated as if you had done everything Jesus Christ had ever done. So now God sees you and delights in you the way he does over his own son. Did you have a question? Yes. Yeah. Um, we're not physically raised, probably spiritually raised. Yes, because spiritually raised means means that you are united with Christ. This this is the joy of the Christian. This is this is what uh, this is this is the, the pinnacle of what we believe that we are in union with Christ. We're united with Him, and because He has been raised spiritually and physically, we have spiritual resurrection, and we look forward to the deposit that's already with us that we will be actually physically raised too, as He was. Paul tells us that, that, that Jesus is the first fruits, the first fruits of that resurrection, meaning the first of many, and we are, we are the ones that follow. Um, so here's how that works through sanctification. Here's how it changes you. He covers you and legally seats you next to the Father by way of his selfless act. When you see him doing that, when you know that he has done that, he also opens your eyes and causes you to say, I, I don't need to be self-centered. I don't need to be self-centered because, because I'm filled. I'm filled. I'm seated there. I have all the honor I could possibly want. I'm satisfied. Remember I brought up this quote last week from Blaise Pascal? There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. So whatever you try and fill in there, it's not going to be satisfactory. But once you have Christ, then now you're, 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 you have a new center. And the, the way you start thinking changes because it's full. It's full. You have a legal status that you cannot attain through any other means. Uh, and so that God-shaped vacuum, which can only be perfectly filled by Christ, once that happens, there's room for <coughs> nothing else. Nothing else. Okay, think, think of your, uh, do you, how do you, uh, I know, speaking of traveling, when you travel, are there, are, how many of you don't like to check in baggage? If, you, if at all possible, I do not like to check in baggage. <coughs> I bring in that carry-on. And they're starting to do things like charge you for a carry-on and everything like that. But for the airlines that don't charge for a carry-on, you know what I do with that, that carry-on bag? I, I stuff it. <laughs> I stuff it full and full. And I even have to unzip the outer zipper that makes it expand a little bit, you know? And then when I'm trying to get in the overhead, I'm cramming it in there. I'm going to get it in here because I'm not paying for, I'm not paying for luggage. And, and so, but it's so full, right? It's so full. Um, Everything you can to, to cram it in there. When, when your heart is perfectly full, there's no room. There's no room for selfishness. There's no room to fill it with whatever you're trying to fill it up or you, you or Christ completely filled it. Does that make sense? You understand that? This is where he takes you. And this is how he gets you from what's wrong with you to what's right with you. His work. He takes you from self-centered to selfless. Verses 1, one to 3, what's wrong with us? This is how he fixes us in 4 to 7 and makes us right. And then we have finally verses 8 to 10. Let's look at this real quick. Verses 2 
Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, and we'll, we'll uh, be wrapping up soon. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is this what we've been saying the whole time here, right? And this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, We've talked about what's wrong with us, what's right with us, and, and after we've been saved, and now verses 8 to 10 tells us how he does it. But wait, it's this tripped me up for a long time. Okay, it says, it says faith, grace through faith. Does that mean my faith is a contribution? Is my faith a contribution? Is that what I have to do in order to obtain the grace? I have to do faith? Can someone unpack that for me? Is that what I'm being asked to do? I still have to do something to obtain grace. True or false? Oh, I know you guys are nervous because well, he's trying to trick me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone have a thought? About that? Huh? False. False. Yeah. Grace through faith. This, you can miss out on yourselves, is what it says. This is a Tim Keller illustration that, that I love because it, I think it uh, perfectly explains this. Grace is the material cause, and faith is the instrumental cause. Okay, he says this. Let's say you're on a skateboard, and along comes a car only going 10 miles an hour. I don't recommend you being on a skateboard, by the way. <laughs> a car comes by going 10 miles per hour. Uh, really dangerous. Not, but if it's only 10 miles an hour, you know, it's not terribly dangerous. So what do you do? You have a messenger bag around you, so you unhook it, and you, you hook the bag uh, around the bumper and around you, <laughs> right? And once you buckle your strap in, now it's pulling you along, right? You're going 10 miles an hour. On a skateboard. What's the cause of your speed? The cause, right? One of the things you could say is the strap is causing me to go, right? But not really. The strap has no power on its own. The strap is only the instrumental cause of your speed. The strap is that which is transferring the power of the car to you. The, the actual cause is the car, right? You're, that's the real ultimate reason you're going 10 miles per hour. Not the strap. The strap is not is, uh, is not the, uh, the material cause. In the same way, when it says grace through faith, the grace of God, the power of God, that's what makes you a Christian. That's what makes you right. The faith is just a way of receiving it, instrumentally, right? It's a channel for it. And so here's what it looks like in the context of sanctification. What happens, what happens in the beginning, and maybe, maybe this is uh, true for some of you right now, maybe you can look back on your faith and say, I remember this. Uh, but when you first become saved, um, you, you have this 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 uh, this um, sort of notion that says uh, you're not. You're, let's see, you hear the gospel. The gospel says you're not saved by being a good person. You're not saved by your good deeds. You're not saved because you always obey the Ten Commandments. Jesus saved you. He accepts you. He loves you. He welcomes you. He embraces you. That's what Jesus has done. You're not saved through your good works. So we have this tendency to believe that you're saved through faith in Him. I'm saved because I believe in Him. And therefore, I receive his grace. That's what it feels like is happening, that I'm responding to him. And by my response, I receive something, and that's what saved me. So your mind hears that and says, great, I'm not saved by my good deeds. I am saved by my faith, though. But you see, you have to be very careful because it, it's, this is how easy it is to suddenly think that it all has to do with the, the quality of my faith. It, it's my trust in him that seals the deal. It's my love for him. It's my sense of his presence, my faith. That's why God loves me. Not because of my good deeds or bad deeds, but because of my faith. 
And see how we're propping faith up into something that, that we have to do. So what happens in a very subtle way is, is, uh, is you think your belief, your faith is the material cause of your salvation. That your faith is holding it all together. But no, you're saved strictly through the grace and power of God. Totally. And faith is just a way to receive that. Faith is the instrumental cause. It's the strap that attaches, but it doesn't have any power in itself. That, that strap may be tattered. That strap may be holding on by a thread, right? But it's the car that's making you go. And the good news is we have assurance that he'll never allow that strap to completely break. He won't, he won't allow it. You know, that's, his, that's, his, uh, that's his promise to you. Torn and tattered as it might become now. How do we know that we're reading that right? How do we know that, that, that faith isn't the material cause and grace the instrumental cause? How do we know that? It's already up here, I think. Yeah, yeah. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, verse 8, 8 9, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. This is why he enumerates it here, just so there's no, no confusion. It's not your faith. It's not your saving faith. That, even of itself, is a gift from God, okay? Um, and if I believe... Faith before grace. If I believe in faith before grace, then suddenly you can boast. You have the potential to boast, and that's why God said, "Even that, even that, you can't, you can't boast." Um, I think that's a good place to stop. Uh, any thoughts, comments, or questions on this? Does that make sense? Yes. So I'm sure, like many of you, it makes you think of a Billy Graham crusade, mm -hmm. and where you really do feel like you are being called to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Generally, the, I feel like a lot of us, the way that we were trained uh, to evangelize, uh, there was a great program all through the 70s, an evangelism explosion, and, and there was kind of an emphasis on that. You're making a choice. You're making a decision. And, and sometimes I'm convinced that maybe that's not so not a bad way, because again, what, what, the, what the Westminster emphasizes over and over with, with scripture proof text is that, yeah, that God is sovereign over ordained, whatever, ordained folks, whoever comes to but again, that doesn't absolve us of human responsibility. So that's why when you do present the gospel to someone, you're asking them, well, will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And, and, and hopefully they say yes. And we should celebrate that. We should rejoice over that. Uh, because again, that's something that is it's a manifestation, a tongue that is confessing by their own free choice now uh, to, to, to love God and to surrender to him. But the engine behind it is, is Christ himself. You know, and it takes us a while to realize that. I think it takes you know several years of sanctification for, for that to really awaken in someone to say, you know what, even that, even that is not of myself. It's it's uh, thanks be to God. He gave me that. He gave me the ability to do that. It's wonderful. Someone else? Thoughts, comments, questions, insults? <laughs> How many of you have eaten a, a Whopper in the last five years? <laughs> okay. Oh. Just a few of you. <laughs> Did it walk you? <laughs> Yours? I, uh, I, I, you never feel great. Okay? <laughs> you, you, you never walk away from a and say, man, I feel great 30 minutes, hour, two hours later, but it didn't destroy me. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't take me out, which I feel like that the Whopper has done before. So, and Not just the Whopper, but other fast food in general. You've got you to be careful with that. You have in your freedom now. In your freedom. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie, yeah. Sound of Freedom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Jim Yeah, this the fact that at the end they give a documentary, it just blew my blew my mind. There's such evil in our society that such a thing has to be on documenting this child sex trafficking took five years to get out into the theater. There's a pervasive evil in our society that's just terrible. So you know, we'll go see the movie and Let's support it. Yeah, follow one more time. Sound, 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 sound of freedom. Sound, sound of freedom. It's playing in Bellevue, I know. Yes. Any other thoughts, comments, questions? Um, since you're fresh from ordination trials, I was just wondering, do you remember the text that was sort of pivotal for Martin Luther? Because I remember thinking like, oh yeah, there was one way you could read, there was a key word in there in which he, it was sort of like the word here, through faith, where he said, actually it's, yeah, I, I can't remember, was it, was it this text? Or I, I know he arrived, at, at, he arrived at freedom of the will through his reading of, of Romans, okay? Uh -huh. So something in Romans, and, and even you know later writing a commentary in that, but I can't remember the specific uh, are you you mean language or yeah, there was outside a, source? Well, there was a way, sort of, if you read it, you could sort of read it in the Roman Catholic of that day way and see, like, oh yeah, they saw yeah. sort of that that um, it was through works. Yeah, and the best thing offers is through a study in Romans, but I don't remember what. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of clicking here for him, but but I remember there was like some grammatical function that you looked at it and you were like, oh yeah, he read it in a different way that I think was obviously with the grain of the scriptures. Yeah. In a way that others. Yeah, you know, don't know the answer to that specifically, but I did pass. I yeah, great. <laughs> right. uh, congratulations. Anyone else? Just one, one analogy that always helped me yeah. in verses one through five is we, we sometimes think of ourselves as like swimming and God came and reached down and pulled us out. And like the verse five, it says we're dead. The reality is, is we were a thousand feet under the water, dead. Yeah not swimming, no life, and God had to come and pull us out. And resuscitate us. And I think that's the thing, like when I think about this, it always gives me like a remember, because I think that I had some sort of part in like keeping myself afloat for a while, and it just seems God to kind of pull me out. And the reality is, is that I had no part whatsoever right. in that. that that's a profound reality, by the way. And, and, uh, and uh, who was I talking to you yesterday? Um, I think it was William, uh, and he said, Ultimately, I think we all believe that. You know, that in, in, once you come to faith, we all believe that. Because why? Why would you pray for anyone to, to be saved? Why would, if it really was truly, ultimately dependent on the, uh, the human will or the ability of man? You know, why? Why pray for anyone? Well, you're praying for God to intervene. Okay, now if you're praying for God's intervention, you're praying for something outside, an outside force to act upon the will of the man. So really, so if you've ever prayed for anyone to be saved, you you believe this doctrine. You ultimately believe that it has to be God Himself that does something uh, to quicken the heart of man uh, to be able to respond favorably to Him. And uh, and again, what that should do, what that should do is not, you know, heaven help you bring you to a place of of pride. Oh, I'm, I'm chosen. No, it should bring you to a place of, of utter uh, brokenness. That. It was nothing that I did. Nothing. I, I contributed zero. Yet he saved me anyway. None of us has anything to boast about. 
you know, that's the beauty of it. That's the reality of our faith. All right, I want to get you guys to church on time. So let me close some prayer. And again, as always, any other questions, please, please come talk to me. I'm glad to, to work through these things with you. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it is without error. Uh, it does not teach falsehood, but it shows us uh, special, special grace. It shows us the special grace that you've given to us, and it tells us uh, exactly not only what's wrong with us, but how you made us right. Uh, and we thank you for that. We thank you for, for grace that you've given to us uh, to be able to reflect the status that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, raised and seated at the right hand of God. We thank you for it. We thank you for your son. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you all.